be seated. Amen. Good morning. We're so very glad to see all of you this morning. Thank you for being here. And uh, happy Memorial Day tomorrow. We're so thankful for those who have uh, served and even paid the ultimate price uh, for their service to our country and this wonderful country we're thankful to, to be in. And we'll acknowledge uh, that more later today at our fellowship. And we appreciate all of our folks for being here, all of our visitors. We want you to know you're welcome. And we invite you back at any opportunity you have. We're also very thankful to have those who join us online, whether they come uh, all the time and, and worship with us or are new today. We want you to know we welcome you and we are glad you are with us this morning. There was a father and son who arrived in a small West Texas town. They were there looking for the father's uncle, whom they had never met, didn't know who he was, what he looked like. While they were walking around this small West Texas town, suddenly the father pointed and said, Look, look, there he is, there's my uncle. The man was walking away from them, but he said, there he is. And, and the man's son said, Daddy, Daddy, how do you know that's your uncle? You've never seen him. And he said, Son, I know that's my uncle because he walks exactly like my dad did. There are some characteristics that are passed down in families, aren't they? Maybe it's the eyes, maybe it's the walk, maybe it's the voice, maybe it's the stature, whatever it might be, that there are characteristics that are passed on uh, in, in families. We see that. When you see, when you see uh, a person's parents, you can, you can tell, I see where you came from. When you see someone's baby pictures, you can tell, yep, that's you. And they laugh, especially when they see your middle school pictures, right? Christians are to also be recognized by certain traits, aren't they? By the way they walk. Not their physical walk, but the way they walk through life, the way they live their lives, right? We're supposed to be recognized and, and noticed and identified by how we live our lives. See, I can have all the knowledge up here. I can give you all kinds of Bible facts but if I'm not living it out, did it make a difference? And does it matter to me? Is it doing anything in my life? So I need to be known for my walk, my Christian walk, my Christian life. And so in this new series we're starting this week, and it'll run for a few weeks, we're looking at uh, the anatomy of a disciple. The anatomy, what, what, what does a Christian look like? What are, the, what are the parts and the dimensions of a Christian? In school, you can take anatomy. And in college, uh, Joyce and I had a class together called Anatomy from a Human Perspective. And the professor was a sincere Christian. And he taught a wonderful job about, did a wonderful job teaching about how God created us and he weaved in faith while he taught the class on uh, anatomy. And I thought 
it was wonderful how he did that. Not all professors do that, but he did a wonderful job. But so, so if we were to break down and analyze and look at the parts and all the components and all the pieces of a Christian, what would we see? And if I can break it down and look, look at it like that, whether you're thinking the human body or maybe an engine or maybe uh, the Legos that you use to build, uh, you know, you can build the different things that the, in that Lego kit and it becomes that spaceship, that race car, that palace, whatever it might be. If we can figure out all the parts, then, then we'll have a good idea of what a Christian is supposed to look like and be like. What are all the components? And so each week we'll look at a different one of those dimensions or areas or components of the Christian life. I want you to first think about this statement, though. So many believers, so few disciples. What do you think about that statement? What comes to mind? How does it make you feel? Do you like what it says? Does it speak the truth? Does it define reality correctly? So many believers, so few disciples. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of people that claim they believe in Jesus. Kinley was teaching on this in the youth class this morning. But not everybody who claims to believe in Jesus is walking as a disciple of Christ, are they? And and I've got to learn myself, if I'm going to be not just a mere believer, but a disciple, then I need to learn, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Is that just believing some right things? Or is there a lot to do with my inner workings and how I live my life, how I think, how I, how I interact in this world. How, we, how, how many people go to church, claim Christianity, claim they believe in Jesus, and, and, and at the right times, at the convenient times, at the popular times, uh, when it's the normal and common thing to do, oh, they're all in for Jesus. But outside of those times, it makes no difference in their life. How many people live lives like that? There's no depth to this, this belief that they claim that they have. Their choices and their actions uh, don't reflect somebody who walks the way Jesus walked. They couldn't be recognized like the man recognized his uncle based on his walk. I I think it's sad but true that there are so many believers but so few disciples. And so I want us to take this opportunity over these next few weeks to uh, take an inward look at uh, look at ourselves and and to grow and to be challenged and to have uh, an expanded view of of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So the big idea in this series is the anatomy of a disciple. When we claim Christianity but don't live like it, we we claim to know Jesus but we don't act like and live like it makes a difference in our lives. That's not a disciple, that's just a mere believer. And and you know what, That, that look doesn't look good. 
That doesn't glorify God and it doesn't look good on us and it doesn't look good for the Lord's church when, when I just merely believe but I don't try to live it out. I'm not growing. I'm not striving. That doesn't do anybody any good. In fact, it may repel some people from Jesus. It may cause some people to, to, to fall away over time because of my example. So what is a disciple? Well, is a disciple just a program I go to? Is a disciple something uh, uh, some, someone does to me, some kind of discipleship relationship or program I attend? Is it a one-day thing I do on a Saturday and, and, and there, I, I'm a disciple, I've been discipled? Well, if we look at the meaning of the word in the original language, it tells us exactly what it means. That's kind of a good idea. Let's see what the definition says of the word. And the, the Greek word for disciple means learner. That's what it means, learner. Now, we usually define it in ways of a follower of Jesus, and that's true. And we've talked about how uh, uh, students of a rabbi would follow that rabbi and follow them so closely that the saying was developed, came about to say your feet are covered with the dust of your rabbi because you're following so closely behind that he kicks up dust on you. Well, well, it's a follower, but what are they doing as they follow? They're learning. Everything, they're, everything that rabbi says, they're learning. They're taking it down. They're, they're taking it in. They're memorizing it because they want to be just like their rabbi. And Jesus they called a rabbi. And so the disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. But what, what, what does that mean to follow? You're learning from. You're learning from their teachings, all that they are. And, and you have to follow in order to do that. And so in learning, that encompasses also living that out because you're following him and his teachings and example. So, so fundamentally, a, 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 a disciple is a learner. So where does this put the responsibility? Where does this put the responsibility? Whose lap is the responsibility in? Well, if a disciple is a learner, then that makes me responsible for the learning and being the disciple of Jesus I'm supposed to be. So, so the church has a, a role. Family has a role. Absolutely. By God's design. And it should. So Bible class and the church fellowship and youth group and, and church activities and all those kinds of things are all a part of it. And talking about faith at home and, and studying the Word of God at home and praying at home and, and all of those kinds of faith things that we do are all a part of it. But ultimately, I am responsible myself and will be held accountable, will stand before God on, the, on one day for how... I learned as a disciple. See, I can hear it all my life, but did I learn it? No one can make me learn it. I have to take responsibility to learn to be a follower of Jesus, to learn his teachings, to learn his, 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 all that he wants me to do, to learn to live out the life he wants me to live. 
So the responsibility is on me. 1 John 2, 6, John wrote, Whoever says he abides in him, claims to believe in Jesus, claims to be a Christian, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He's saying, you better follow. You're a learner. And the responsibility is on you to be that learner. You can't blame somebody else. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him. Not, not somebody else. He's, he's saying it's your responsibility. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. That is the exact same Greek word used for disciple. That's the same word. Learn from me. Be my disciple. Jesus said, come Follow me. Come be my disciple. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Discipleship is not a personal enrichment program. Discipleship is not a self-help program. This isn't picking up the latest self-help book or watching the latest self-help TikTok video. Being a disciple is far beyond what anything, the, any wisdom or philosophy the world can offer because you're learning from the Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, Christians were initially called disciples. They were the learners. They were those who followed Christ. And in Acts eleven twenty six 26 is when we see they were first called Christians. The disciples were then called Christians there. What were they, why were they called disciples? Because they followed Jesus around and learned from Him. They said those people, those learners of Jesus. And then they started calling them Christians. Why? Because they were following the Christ. They were learning from the Christ. They believed in the Christ. Jesus' last words to us, uh, to His disciples... In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, look at that. Go therefore and make what? Learners. You see the word disciples, but that Greek word means learner. It's disciple, which means learn. Go and make people who will learn of me, who will get to know me, who will learn my words, my truth, and what I want for their lives, who will follow me and know me and live the life I'm calling them to live. Go and make disciples, learners of all nations, baptizing. Well, why would you be baptized in Christ? Because you learned of Christ. Do you see that? Be baptized in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Well, if you're teaching, then there's got to be some learning. He said, go make disciples. Well, how are you going to make learners? You've got to teach the learners. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. What's that? The teaching, Jesus' words, that we are to learn. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so our first dimension we're going to look at briefly today is humbly submitted. So there, are, there, I've got them blacked out, and we'll reveal the next one each week. But you see, at the core 
of all these dimensions and these rings of uh, a disciple of Jesus, a follower, a learner of Jesus, at the very center, at the very core, is humbly submitted. Humbly submitted. And each of these has different layers and sectors, and, and so we're going to look at what each of them mean each week. We'll look at a new one, new one. But at the very center is the core, and that is humbly submitted. Actually, the first two, humbly submitted and the next one, make up the core, but at the center of the core is humbly submitted. That's what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. Why did Jesus say to the Pharisees, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before you? That sounds weird. Why, Why did Jesus say that? That the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering heaven, entering the kingdom of God before the Pharisees? What does that even mean? Well, we see in Matthew 9, 11 and 12, when the Pharisees question him about eating with sinners, in other words, they're not like us, the Pharisees, when you eat with sinners, those people, and they questioned him, His answer to them helps us understand what he's saying in Matthew 21, 31. Matthew 9, 11 through 12. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I think the NIV says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You don't go to the the doctor when nothing's wrong. You don't spend your time waiting and trying to make an appointment and paying paying your money to go when nothing's wrong. You go to the doctor when something's wrong. And the Pharisees didn't believe anything was wrong with them. They called those people sinners. They, They weren't sinners. Those people were sinners. And Jesus is telling them that the tax collectors and the prostitutes and any others in that class of sinners, those people, which by the way, that's us, those people were entering the kingdom of God before the Pharisees because they, when they learned of Jesus, they learned they were sick and they turned their hearts and submitted their hearts Humbly to Jesus. Does that make sense? They were the ones believing in the message of Jesus. The tax collectors and prostitutes turned to Jesus because their hearts were broken when they learned of their sin and they recognized their sin and they turned humbly to the Savior. Jesus modeled this for us in Philippians chapter 2. Read that whole uh, passage there, but I'll just zero in on verse 8 where Paul writes, being found in appearance as a man, talking about Jesus, he what? Humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself? See, that's why he's our perfect example. That's why we've got to learn from him. That's what it means to learn from him. He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient. And even obedient to the point of death. Even death... On a cross. We see the humility of Jesus when he prayed to God uh, on that day before he was going to be arrested and crucified. Luke 22, 42. What did he say? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But then what did he say? Yet not my will, but what? Yours be done. 
What's he doing? He's humbly submitting his will, his heart, his whole life, everything to the will of his Father. And that's why he's the one to follow. He's the Savior we're to learn from. He's the Savior we're supposed to uh, uh, follow and emulate. We're supposed to be like him. And he's showing us, I humbled myself. And even when my flesh didn't want to go through with it, I did what my father wanted me to do. God has always been after our hearts. That's what it's always been about. He's always been after our hearts. And a heart humbly submitted to God is where it starts. It starts with the heart. If your heart isn't right before God, if it's not humbly submitted to God, then all those other dimensions and everything else about being a follower of Jesus, a disciple, don't work. They don't, it doesn't fit together right because it starts in your heart. Uh, who, who will your heart submit to is what you have to ask. H- who has my heart? Who has your heart? Who does your heart submit to? Does it submit to what your flesh wants? The things of this world, the things that the flesh wants and desires? Well, John wrote about that, didn't he? And, and that's what Jesus was tempted. That's what the temptations were. Satan was tempting him to try to get him to turn his heart towards him and away from God. So when you submit your heart either to God or to, or to your flesh or anything else, which ultimately is what uh, bowing down to Satan, which is what the temptations were about between who's going to have your heart and Jesus showed us his heart was always humbled before God, turned towards God. But it's always a battle of, of whose heart, uh, who's going to have my heart? Who, who am I going to submit to in my heart? Every decision you make has to do with that. James, James wrote this, and it's a little bit of a long passage in James 4, 1 through 10. Look at what he writes. Listen, to, he's, ta- he's talking to this church. These are Christians here. And he writes, what causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Listen to the humbled heart. Is it not this that Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your what? Passions. Verse 4. You adulterous people. He's saying when your heart is divided and it's leaning one way some days and some days here, you're committing adultery with God because as a Christian you belong to Him. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Boston, I think, uh, used this in his sermon recently. It, it's, 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 it's hatred. It's it's. Uh, being an enemy with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, humble your heart to the world, bow down to the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is uh, to no purpose that the Scriptures say he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives more grace, and thank God, God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? 
the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Do you see that? Humbly submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Uh, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to, to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your what? Hearts. See, humbly submitted is all about the heart, being humbly submitted as a disciple. You double-minded, he said, be, be wretched and mourn and weep. The meaning, you understand your sin and your lostness outside of Christ. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, don't live like that. Don't be proud of the quarrels and fights and, and that kind of luck. Humble your hearts to God. And look, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you or lift you up. Look at what James is telling us. Do you see the heart problem that these people had? And James with, pleads with them, humble yourselves, submit yourselves humbly to the Lord. So I want to ask you again, who has your heart? Who holds the, the passions of your heart? Who, what is the focus of your heart? A, hum, a heart humbly submitted to God will choose to worship God and serve Him, and live for Him. And His desires and His loves become your desires and your loves. No longer the loves of the world that pass away and don't get you anywhere eternally that's good, but your desires and your passions and your loves are now the things that God loves and desires, what He's passionate about. And that's how I live faithful as a disciple of Jesus. The heart in the Bible, when the Bible uses heart, it's almost always not talking about the actual organ, is it? What's it talking about when the Bible refers to your heart? We still talk about it that way. Uh, but when the Bible talks about it as the heart, talks about the heart, it means that's the very center and core of who you are. Your identity, like, like the essence of you, is your heart, who you are. It all starts in the, in the heart. And that's why a humbly submitted heart is at the very core of the anatomy of a disciple because everything flows out of that. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will what? Your heart be also. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? What are the things most important to you? And Jesus is saying, whatever those are, that's where I'll find your heart. And when he finds your heart, he might find it not humbly submitted to him. And not being a learner, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So, so where is your treasure? Because if you look around, that's where your heart is. And maybe we're going through life so fast we don't realize where our heart even is. Because we can get lost tra chasing the treasures and forget about the heart and we look up and we find, oh, it, it hadn't been submitted to God. My, my heart hasn't been humble before God and, and, and worshiping Him and following Christ and learning from Christ. So Jesus calls us 
to, to put our hearts in the right things, to put our treasures in the right things, to treasure the things of Jesus. You know, being a disciple of Jesus starts with your heart. That's what I want to get across. Being a disciple of Jesus starts with your heart. And I've always liked this illustration here. This little child holding their heart up to God and says, it ain't much, but it's all I got. And what does God say to us? It's all I ever wanted. If you submit your heart to Jesus, that's what he's asking for. And then everything else about being a disciple of Jesus flows from, from that. Are you handing your heart humbly submitted to God? Are you handing it somewhere else? I want to encourage you. Evaluate yourself. Make sure your heart is focused on the right things. Have you turned your loves, your desires over to God? Or are you still lo loving and desiring the things of this world? God's been after your heart all your life. And He just wants it turned over to Him. And maybe you need a change of heart this morning. Maybe you need a change of life this morning. Maybe you need to surrender your heart to Jesus, to humbly submit it to Jesus. Maybe you need to, to say, look, I, I haven't had my heart in the right place. My treasure has been on the wrong thing, in the wrong things. I've treasured the wrong things. I need to get my heart right with God. We want you to know we're here for you. Because you want to get back on track in, in your lifestyle of living, walking like your Savior. Maybe you've never fully done that because you haven't put on Christ in baptism and you're not a Christian yet, but you're saying, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to just hand my heart over to Jesus because that's where it starts. I, I don't know everything I need to know. I don't understand everything, but I can understand humbly submitting my heart to Jesus. And God says, that's all I'm asking for. I'll start with you there. And you put on Christ in baptism and you become a follower, a learner of Jesus, walking in that new life. Whatever your need is, if you need prayers this morning, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.